tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Hey, thank you for tuning in to, for Tin Foil Hat with Sam Tripoli. Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Listen, I take Athletic Greens every day because I love to optimize my immune system. I want better gut health and I don't have a lot of times. So I don't want to take a bunch of, of pills. It takes forever. Okay. Every day I take this and I love it. Okay. So what is this up with well, one delicious scoop of athletic greens? You're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, your immune system, and your energy recovery, focus, and aging. All these things, okay? It's a lifestyle friendly, whether you're into keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, okay? Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. It costs less than $3 a day. It's that simple. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew. So here's what I want you guys to do. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health immune system with convenient daily nutrients, especially heading into flu and cold season. It's just one scoop of cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. It's really easy. Athletic Green is going to give you one free year's supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash tinfoil. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash tinfoil. Athleticgreens.com dot com slash tinfoil take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance good morning swarm and welcome to tinfoil hat you know i am you know what i'm here to do i'm here to rock join me as always uh, xavier guerrero and on the ones and twos deep from space johnny woodard how are you guys we're doing want, good good i want to thank everybody who came out to last night's comedy chaos packed show thank you guys last second Packed it out. We really do appreciate you. Uh, a lot of new dates up on the website. If you want to uh, learn more about Tinfoil Hat or see uh, me live, just go to samtriplee.com. All my dates are there. Saratoga Springs is September 30th, two shows. And then uh, there should be a – oh, yeah, here we go. Kansas City's up. Grab those tickets. And then we have two shows, Tinfoil Hat with Eddie Bravo, Xavier Guerrero. We're going to be at the Calusa – Casino Resort on December 2nd, one show. And then we're going to be doing uh, two shows one night in Fresno, California. Just go to, again, uh, one comedy night, then one swarm tank. You can buy combo if you'd like. But go check that out, samtriplee.com. All of my 
content is there. We'll get into that a little later, but let's get into it. This gentleman is an investigative reporter. I'm very excited to have him on. Please welcome Stephen Schneider. How are you, brother? Doing well, sir. And thank you very much for having me on. Stephen, I appreciate you coming on our show. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Stephen, for those who may not be familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where our listeners can find you? Uh, well, I've been in the conspiracy racket for like over 10 years now. I started out as a blogger, uh, visa.com, blogspot, uh, which, uh, you know, kind of grew out of the whole synchromistic movement, especially Chris Knowles' stuff with the Secret Sun, which I always really dug a lot. And that's kind of the prism that I've always sort of looked at this stuff through. I got into podcasting around 2019 with The Farm. Uh, you can find me, you know, The Farm Podcast Mach 2. It's on Apple. It's on Spotify. And uh, I've also written a couple books uh one of them strange tales of the parapolitical with frank zero and then another one was a uh, special relationship trump epstein and the secret history of the anglo-american establishment uh which I wrote all by myself and uh yes yeah, so basically now been able to start doing this full time i wander around the country go to lots of weird places and investigate kind of all kinds of crazy stuff so it's pretty great i'm all in dude i'm all in one more time what's the name of your podcast it is the Farm Podcast, and then you can find it now under Mach 2. Uh, that's M-A-C-H-I-I. So, yeah, look it up under that. Okay, and do you have a website? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my blog, visupview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, all one word, .blogspot.com. All right, make sure uh, after we're done to email us those links so I uh, can include in the description so our fans can find you. So you also go by, uh, first of all, I love it, parapolitical. I love that, that term. I've never heard it before. What exactly is it? Oh, really? Really? That was actually the term that Michael Aquino wanted to rename uh, the uh, the civic action branch of the special operations forces uh, after the parapolitical branch, uh, which I think was a rather keen way of his to mock many people. But uh, anyway, it was sort of like grew out of the 70s and 80s with people like Peter Dale Scott, uh, James Marshall, uh, I mean, Ross Ballant, a lot of the kind of trailblazers who were trying to really apply this very academic type of research. Uh, I mean, almost like scholarly history, historical research to stuff that had typically been seen as like conspiracy theories. I mean, this is sort of like where the whole concept of deep politics emerged from was from a lot of the early parapolitical researchers, though it's been greatly debased in subsequent years, to put it mildly. <clears throat> I love it. I love it. So you go by recluse. Who's recluse? That would be me. That's actually after the brown recluse spider. That came out of like an acid trip that I did with my metalhead <laughs> brothers like many, many years ago. Uh, <laughs> my friend told me I turned into a giant spider before him. And he was like, you're like a spider with your hands and like everything. And like a brown recluse. And um, anyway, it kind of stuck. So, yeah, that was uh, when I started blogging kind of the name I went with. It seemed rather appropriate if you're going to do synchromysticism when, uh, you know, the name you got out of LSD. So i'm very much into all this so you were doing what kind of acid i don't remember what kind of acid it was man i mean this would have been probably some of the last bit of the what the picard stuff or something like that it was around like 2001 or something like that if i remember correctly 
Uh, I mean, actually, the gnarliest trip I ever had was on mushrooms, though, when I got to the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. I mean, it was like a pretty conventional trip for the most part. But towards the end, I go into the cafeteria and this is around midnight. (laughs) Like they opened it up for a midnight snack for the kids. And like I walk in and it's like a smoke machine is in there. And like I see all the kids like walking around, you know, amongst the aisles. And they're these like seven foot aliens. And I mean like gray aliens and i mean you know this is like the most livid you know lucid thing i've ever seen like they look you know like i mean there's no distinguishing them between the real people and like what i'm seeing there it's not even like a normal hallucination i've had while tripping i've never seen anything like that before or since where it was like wow this thing like literally looks like it's right there and they're like a bunch of them just kind of like walking around amongst the crowd so it's actually a big part of why I got into a lot of this stuff. I respect that. I have a friend of mine that was recently out in um, the Denver area, was doing a lot of drugs out there. And he was telling me that he like he felt like Denver had like, like a weird kind of vibe to it in the sense that he felt like, I don't know, I, I got the sense that he thought it was like, with shrooms and acid and all that stuff, kind of what they were doing in Hate Ashbury when they were doing with the with the acid and the crystal math. It was like a kind of like a laboratory. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? I mean, it's kind of out of nowhere, but I know it's like my friend was just talking about that. He's very in tune. It's uh it's a buddy of mine, he's got a great podcast. Um, but what are your thoughts? Well, I could definitely see it. Uh, I mean, I did spend a fair amount of time in Denver, even though I was living in Colorado Springs. But like, you know, for those of you who haven't lived there, they're only like about an hour or something apart. And it's kind of interesting, too. You've got like Garden of the Gods and No Rad and a lot of other sort of interesting stuff like right betwixt them. Of course, like the whole airport is there. But it's like, yeah, there's always been that weird kind of counterculture scene there and i'm thinking specifically of like boyd rice you know i mean i think he had that tiki bar in like downtown denver for a lot of years i think at one point tracy twyman was like living there michael aquino had spent some time there but there was sort of like that milieu from like that kind of darker side of the industrial um metal scene and some of these other sort of like occult groups around like the temple of set and the church of satan and what have you that were like participating there so there was kind of like that component to the counterculture and i mean when a guy like you know akino is sort of like lurking around there i mean yeah you gotta sort of wonder like what was you know what exactly were they trying to do with that (laughs) what were they kind of establishing there it's interesting you know i've been talking to myself a lot lately because i tend to have the best i love talking to myself too yeah i have really great i have really great conversations um (laughs) And one thing I've been talking about a lot is about how the enemy of nature is culture. Culture is the enemy of nature. Because culture, in my humble opinion, I'd love to hear your opinion, is that culture seems to be more about pushing a style of thinking and living on a group of people, whether it is feminist culture, black culture, whatever it is, we'll even go white culture. I think there is a white culture out there and we kind of think counterculture Uh, to me. I think counterculture, when we look back on it from a uh, MK ultra intelligence uh, prism, right? We, I think it becomes a fraud and a lot of it was manufactured. A lot of it did not happen naturally. 
uh, or it was happening naturally on a smaller level. It was hijacked, amplified, and pushed groups into a certain kind of way. And the more and more I study counterculture, the more and more I just think it's a bunch of people who are pissed at their dads, and they're just trying to rally against it. And not that there aren't things, like, I think there's so much stuff out there that even if maybe it was started, let's say the internet, right? The internet was started by DARPA, developed by DARPA, but a lot of amazing things had come for it. Blessings, this show, your show, I get to talk to you, all this stuff. But but I do believe, so So the, that's the same thing with counterculture, but I do believe that culture is the enemy of nature. And do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, 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 actually quite a bit. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I think when you sort of fundamentally get to culture, I mean, it comes out of things like mythos and storytelling, uh, which is what shapes it. And fundamentally, this has always been a religious practice. And I mean, that's kind of embedded, you know, I mean, for instance, in like the phrase abracadabra, that's actually a Coptic word that means as I speak, I create. Um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, very much like historically, mythos and stories were a way to create reality and um this is something that occultists have always known for many years i mean this was really sort of the basis of the roshikrushan fervor to give you an example there was no roshikrushan society when the manifestos appeared uh but they essentially created the whole speculative masonic movement in their aftermath uh basically a quasi roshikrushan movement out of uh what was essentially alarmed so this is how culture was manipulated for many years by esotericists and so forth and it's something that people in the intelligence community are keenly aware of in fact again colonel michael aquino actually wrote a book about Rashikrushanism endorsing these very notions and um interestingly enough to his concept you had sort of different you know perspectives of reality you had a consensus and a subjective reality i think in his con in his notions the consensus would be what you would be referring to as nature this is sort of the physical world where there are laws that we can all agree to and how the universe is ordered how nature is ordered and that type of thing this sort of newtonian worldview but then there's also this subjective reality that many groups over the years believe can be manipulated through archetypes in the forms of stories in the forms of mythos and so forth and that can fundamentally alter the physical world itself again whether or not that's possible is a obviously matter of debate but these are definitely i think very much concepts that have been interplayed with a lot of groups for many years now so that's my answer to your question no i and i love it i i i think it totally aligns in what you said and you know because it could start as this kind of uh uh spiritual magic almost and then these groups come through these these intelligence communities and to me they're all extensions of the 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 jesuit order the vatican i think they're you know if you take a look at it you know uh this is my opinion if you take a look at all the known uh crime organizations they all tend to have a catholic background irish italian latin america all that stuff and then you have like you know the nazis run into the vatican and I just think that there's a connection between the Jesuits. The Jesuits were the, somewhat of the first intelligence agencies. And so, you know, there's a lot of magic. I think dark magic involved with the Vatican. So it totally makes sense to me that over time they would they would really solidify and, and, and 
make their their uh their manipulation of people through culture very very uh crystal clear in terms of that's just my belief um so let's get into some uh twilight language what is twilight language well it's kind of like what i was getting at before i mean in like the occult doctrine this would be in theory the uh, language that god spoke to adam in in the uh, garden of eden but essentially it was uh, a time in a lot of traditions where we you know communicated through uh, telepathy and it would have as such been a symbolic language i think it's kind of like a precursor to sort of the notions of like the Jungian archetypes and that type of thing so so Oh, one more time. So, so what does it symbol? What what does it represent? Twilight language. Well, I mean, I think that it's a way, essentially, that you weaponize. I mean, a lot of mythos or stories and so forth, because you're playing into. Okay, Star Wars would be like a great example of this. Like, I mean, it's a series that's been trashed for a lot of years, or at least in the early days for the lack of characterization. But that was nonsense because, again, Lucas is working with archetypes and almost mythological concepts. I mean, Luke is the hero with a thousand faces who's put onto his journey. Obi-Wan Kenobi is the wise old man. Vader is the shadow. Essentially, you're playing into a lot of these concepts that have assisted in the human mind since, you know, time immortal practically and you're bringing them into a fictional context so it's like you know you don't need even like conventional character development or something like that in fact in a lot of ways it's useless these things need to be above uh, human dynamics so that they can affect people on a very primal level and that's you know to my mind why something like star wars is so effective or lord of the rings for that matter or a lot of really the popular fantasy series or science fiction ones because i mean they are working on that archetypical level i mean like doctor who would be almost like a trickster figure for example and uh that i think is really the way that you reach people much more so than you know, like these stuffy period pieces or these like big message movies and things of that nature. I mean, science fiction, to my mind, has done far more, I mean, in terms of swaying people's politics and so forth. And I mean, any number of uh, high concept, you know, I mean, reality based movies have over the years. Uh, I love that. I think that's very powerful. And I, 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 I and I totally agree with everything that you're saying that, you know, we've talked about on the show before. And I could be using the term wrong, but sigil magic almost through symbolism. Uh, and I think storytelling is kind of uh, preparing you for something that is coming up so that you're so used to seeing it, you accept it, that when maybe it happens, it isn't a big shock to you. And it's brainwashing. We've seen that a lot in in hollywood over the decades what i find interesting i'd love to ask your opinion on this is that we've seen this seeing hollywood moving away from these traditional stories into this cultural marxism that and it seems to be being rejected by the masses that you know they're not getting any of the numbers because they're not traditional stories what are your thoughts on that yeah i mean i think very much so and i mean it's you know it's very evident when you look at like a lot of these genres that have been big money makers in the science fiction or fantasy genres or like comic books you know i mean again and you know 
know, all this stuff did work so well because it was in this archetypical realm with these, you know, I mean, time-honored story traditions, these characters that we could relate to on a very subconscious level. And now you're trying to bring in just like a lot of these contemporary political issues that, I mean, people may or may not even care about in 20 years. Uh, I mean, that just in and of itself is like... uh a formula for disaster and i mean the fact that it's just being done so blatantly at this point i mean yeah i think very much so and yeah just the returns are probably only going to get worse as we go forward and you see more of this just uh virtue signaling and this kind of stuff going on and it's yeah and it's, it's it's just super interesting because they also like they don't want you to know if you're coming or going right so you have this lie this lady king coming out which is right there in itself is going against tradition lady king uh for through time the 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 female patriarch or excuse me the ma what's a matriarch the female matriarch of uh, of the royal family was the queen has always been the queen now you got lady king so that's being done interesting then you have the story the actual story of this warrior female warriors actually the story of a woman who was part of a tribe that fought to keep slavery alive in africa her tribe that area was making money off of selling slavery to whoever was buying slaves at that time and then the actress comes out and she says hey uh if you don't support this film you're a racist they, they don't want you you, they don't want you to know if you're coming or going. And that's the whole thing. It's like nonlinear warfare. And my whole the question becomes, how long can they keep this going? Because it's not really about the money, because the money is, is just all Fed funny money that they get bailed out every couple of years by the Federal Reserve that they just use to cover their losses. But if nobody's watching it, is can a spell be cast if nobody's hearing the spell? Well, that's, I mean, a good question. I mean, obviously, I mean, um, I think in some ways, I mean, they can keep it going. I mean, indefinitely, because in a lot of ways, Hollywood is just basically a front for money laundering. So there's a lot of ways, you know, you, you can kind of get around the fact that the movies aren't making any freaking money. I mean, tax write-offs. I mean, you know, a lot of other stuff goes missing, eh, you know, well... But yeah, I mean, it's like, I definitely think that that's one of the things, though, that they're having an issue with. But I mean, it's also like they've almost repurposed film and pop culture at this point, whereas previously it was being used to create a culture that would unify the country and bring it towards one direction or another that they were looking for. Whereas now it's like we're just trying to use it to like gaslight people and just do just absurd stuff that I mean, you don't really... Like, I was thinking of, like, the Ghostbusters movie, the one that they did with the all-female one. It's, like, one of those things, like, you know, okay, I don't think anybody would have objected to having, like, a 50-50 split with, like, women and men as Ghostbusters in this day and age. But it's just, like, did anybody want to see Ghostbusters as, like, a chick film? It, it just... <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. It's like you're just deliberately like throwing this out here to see how much like outrage you can generate, you know? I mean, and it's just nobody but, even I thought mean, that this was an issue in the first place. Like, I mean, and the outrage, and it's not outrage, but to me, the fucked up part is that they make men look stupid. Not only are they not the main part of the movie is they make them look stupid. Like, oh, they he can't do that. The dad's horrible. It's just like yeah, anti-man thing. That, 
and that was coming off the heels of like every commercial being like, dad can't wipe his butt. What are we going to do? Mom's got toilet paper. Thanks, mom. You know, and it's just like, and, it, and this goes back to pushing against these archetypes that we have had forever. It is about destroying the father so that and destroying any power the dad has. And that's being done on purpose. I mean, we see what happens in the society when fathers aren't around. Now, some people, dads leave. They become wonderful people. I'm not saying this is a set rule and I'm not talking about anyone in particular. I'm just saying as what we've seen from afar in our society is that when you break up the nuclear family and there's not two parents involved, that tends to lead to trouble. And that's just what it is. And this is all part of this sorcery that I think is being done by sorcerers who run mankind. That's just my humble opinion. And I think it's beyond interesting. And But we'll see if they can keep it up. It just doesn't seem like it has any power anymore. And I think you're very, I think you brought up a good point that's done for maximum impact. So we got this little mermaid who's now black and by itself, it shouldn't be a big deal. People be like, yeah, so what this fictional character is black. Who cares? Nobody cares. Right. But it's in a long line of this kind of reimagining everything, including historical figures. Like mm. changing them from white to black. And that to me fits into the role of what cultural Marxism is, which is not allowing you to know your history, not allowing to know history and what came before you so that every generation has to start from zero instead of getting a running start by learning knowledge from the generation before them be passed down from generation to generation to generation. Yeah. But then they use emotion. Have, have you seen the video of them showing uh that commercial of the little mermaid to other black little African little girls and they get all emotional and then it hurt. It, pu it, pu it pulls on you when you're like, Oh, I can see why it does it. And then you watch the video and you don't even know where to stand no more. You're like, fuck. Cause I watched the video and then you feel happy for the black. And she's like, Oh, there's a black. And you're like, yes, they should feel like that. So they, they know what they're doing. 100%. Exactly. If you gave the same kid a chocolate bar too, they'd also be like, Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's like, and it's like, what? There could be a million other characters made. It's it's done on purpose yeah. to cause That's maximum it. impact. It's got it's got cachet. It's got it's got cultural resonance already, and they want to twist those and images again, and, and, and pervert them. If that's the only time they do it, you're totally right, Xavier. Chill the fuck out, everybody. Yeah. It's one character, but it this is uh, this is five years of this going on on purpose to cause maximum chaos, flipping everything the other way. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, and again, I mean, if you're looking at it from like an occult perspective, I mean, I think it's sort of like indicative of the Kali Yoga and that kind of thing. I mean, because again, you are essentially invoking chaos. I mean, you're letting Saturn out of his proverbial cube. Uh, and now, I mean, you're going to see the end results of that. Uh, I mean, I kind of think the only thing that we're really missing at this point is another Phantom Clown uh, flap. Which would be the, uh... 
Hey guys, I want to tell you real quick a couple things. One, if you're looking for more free audio content, I got seven podcasts for you. You can find them all on samtriply.com. Tinfall Hat. Broken Sims is my storytelling podcast where I just talk about how I put my life on the line in the streets of Los Angeles. Cash Dags, my my financial podcast. Punch Drunks, my sports podcast. I have a I have an awesome show called The Union of the Unwanted. It's one of the most important discussions out there. I have two podcasts that are of my premium content, Zero and, and Conspiracy Social Club with Brian Kellen. Those are also for free. If you're looking to support the show, it's real simple. Just go to uh, rockfin.com and you can click on three of my shows. I, we actually have five shows on there. Tim Fall Hat. Zero on my spiritual show, Conspiracy Social Club with Brian Callen. We have Broken Sim, and we also have We Don't Smoke the Same. You can get all that for only $10. I have a financial show called Cash Daddies, and we have a Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash cash daddies. Uh, Howie Dewey is on fire with his investment picks in this crazy economy. It's a great way to support the show. If you're looking at another way to support the show is with t-shirts, timfullhattshirts.com, okay? We have a brand new shirt called All My Heroes of Shadow Band, and we just put up the spooky action t-shirt. Great way to buy a shirt right there. Um, and also, I want to tell you about our friends at Fume. Listen, if you're a current smoker, okay, a past smoker, if someone close to you that smokes so you want to quit, check out Fume. Fume is the best. Fume is a natural inhaler designed for a better, safer, natural way to quit cigarettes. It, it's a no smoke, no vape, no nicotine replacement for the hand-to-mouth habit of smoking. Fume handcrafts wooden inhalers and uses cores infused with plant oils studied to curb cravings. They have flavors like peppermint and conquer with minty notes to simulate menthol cigarettes and other flavors like cozy chai and lemonberry bliss for a sweeter experience. And all of their flavors are 100% natural. That means no harmful chemicals, no artificial flavors, and absolutely no nicotine. Quitting is tough, but fume really helps. They've gotten thousands of five-star reviews from smokers who've tried everything else, and this worked, okay? I gave it to Dana. She loves smoking cigarettes. I gave her fume, and she was blown away by how much it helps with the craving. So here's what's going on. Whether you're a smoker or an ex-smoker who still struggles with craving, Fume is the perfect tool for you. Head to breathefume.com slash tinfoil and use the promo code tinfoil to save 10% off your entire order. That is 10% off your entire order when you head to B-R-E-A-T-H-E-F-U-M.com slash tinfoil and use the code tinfoil. Quit naturally with Fume. Use tinfoil to save 10% off at breathefume.com slash tinfoil. Guys, I want to also tell you about our friends at Blue Chew. That's right. Blue Chew drops the hammer of the gods on your ladies or your men or your lady boys. Whatever you're into, Blue Chew helps you drop it like it's hot, okay? Blue Chew is the unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and CLs, but in a chewable tablet at a fraction of the cost. Harder boners, 
cheaper boners, okay? You take them anytime, day or night, so so you can plan ahead or just pop them in when it's time to go, right? You're stuck at a, a stop sign and you want to hit it real quick before you take off. Blue Chew, all right? The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, boom, you'll get your prescription in days. The best part, it's all done online. No more going to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no more waiting in line at the pharmacy, staring at the chick before you, wondering what she's got, okay? Not anymore. Blue Chew tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped to your door, in discreet packages, USA, USA. That's right, American boners for American ladies or American dudes, okay? Whatever you're into, dude. And listen, I'm sure if you really ask them politely, they'll put some fireworks on there. Whatever you want, they'll let everyone know you're mayor of Poundtown. Thank you, Blue Chew. So here's what we're doing. If you could benefit from an extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help chew it and do it. We got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free with the promo code TINFOIL at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code TINFOIL to receive your first first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast and giving out American bonus. So let's get in. So a big part of you coming on is like you just want to – so – for those who may not be familiar, you like to drive around and investigate stuff. Is that kind of what you're into? Yeah, 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 yeah. Lots of different stuff. Um, And one of your trips through, where'd you go through Hopewell? No, no, I went through Ohio, but I was looking at like a lot of the Hopewell sites with like the mounds and all that other good stuff mm-hmm. uh, that were left by some of the more mysterious uh, Native American tribes in that region. Tell us a little bit about, because I, again, this gets into hidden history, what they don't want us to know. And I think it all leads to back to not letting you know how powerful you truly are. Well, yeah, I mean, I think very much. I mean, especially with like the, you know, the mounds that were set up by the Hopewell and the Adena and this whole region in the Ohio Valley area, because essentially it's an elaborate grid system that was meant to bind like the heavens to the earth. And it sort of plays into the whole sort of concept of theurgy uh, that was known in European ceremonial magic. But basically it's a whole notion of soul flight where the soul returns to the Milky Way through the process of these mounds and so forth. And this was like a big thing to the Native Americans. And um, later uh, when I think a lot of the uh, founding fathers who were quite obsessed with this stuff saw it, they immediately understood the significance of this because it was playing into their own magical systems. And consequently, this is where, I mean, I think Ohio became so significant in the broader, you know, legacy of America. I mean, this is really the foundation of the American empire. I mean, this was the first uh, Western territory, the Northwest territory. This is where Manifest Destiny comes from. And then later, when we became a true imperial empire outside of North America, this comes in a time frame from about 1875 to 1920, where seven or eight of the U.S. presidents were from Ohio, McKinley, I mean, all of these guys were who brought the United States overseas into the Spanish-American War to annex Hawaii and started setting up the American empire that we know today. 
And, you know, I think in the grand scheme of things, when you look at the significance that the Ohio Valley had to uh, the peoples that came there as a sort of astro-magical place combined with the fact that you had these groups like the Society of Cincinnati with people who were very much aware of sacred geometry, alchemy, uh, Neoplatonism, and all this other kind of stuff. I have actually started to wonder, I mean, how much of this was a ritual? Because, I mean, you do see this ongoing significance of Ohio and so much of this insane stuff, I mean, going forward. I I find it interesting. What do you, so the Native Americans or the indigenous believe that these mounds would help send a, a, a deceased soul into the next realm? Yeah, well, they're mostly oriented towards like different stellar phenomena and so forth, different stars or different us, like the solstices and things of that nature. So, I mean, yeah, it's a very like kind of intricate system and it would sort of be based on the whole concept of like ley lines and things of that nature as well. And I mean, it's just, you know, fascinating kind of getting into some of the more recent stuff that's been going on there. I mean, with um, U.S. Route 23, I mean, that runs right through the center of a lot of where these uh, these mounds are. I mean, like the Serpent Mound and a lot of the major ones. And this is just a major hub for drug trafficking, for human trafficking. You've just got, I mean, tons of uh, women who have been murdered brutally in this whole region and so oh forth. God. So... I mean, it's just, you know, this was like a major like power zone. And I mean, it's just being, uh, you know, overwhelmed with, I mean, a lot of this just horrendous and brutal crime. And, you know, it's remarkable in a lot of ways and not in a good way. We'll get into the uh, all that stuff. Uh, I want to ask you a couple things. One is, um, do, were there names for these ancient civilizations or tribes and were they are, are are there any of them left in this area? I know there's indigenous, but are there any left around there? Well, yeah, I mean, it's like Hopewell and Adino are really, I mean, if we're being really honest about it, it's more of a reference to a religion than anything else. Um, and again, it's really kind of fascinating because, I mean, you have the whole concept of the upper world, and this is prevalent in all the eastern woodland tribes, which incidentally were all in this northwestern territory where all the mounds were. You've got the upper world where you've got the Thunderbirds and what have you, which you could see maybe modern manifestations like the Mothman and stuff of that nature. You've got the underworld, the dominion of the Horned Serpent and so forth. You've got Middle Earth where we're at. And then there is the whole concept of the other world, the uh, evil Earth and so forth. And kind of interestingly, this is a realm that's invoked by chaos. It's usually personified by a trickster deity or a clown. So there you go. Would you lot say to unpack there, dude. Uh, lot to unpack there. You think this is Middle Earth? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like the realm of like humanity and so forth where we exist in. And then there's sort of like the upper and the lower realm. And I mean, to put it sort of in context, like the underworld would be sort of the the concept of the abyss, if you will. It's usually like depicted as like this vast black ocean, if you will. And then uh, the other world would be sort of like the Kenneth Grant, you know, Nightside Tree of Life thing. And you sort of see that with a lot of the weird occult groups, like the Bake Cabal out of Cincinnati. I mean, they were in contact with Kenneth Grant trying to summon all these Lovecraftian deities. And they're doing it in the same region as the Hopewell had set up the mounds. And then in like Wisconsin, Michael Bertrio is going to the same area, Devil's Lake, where they had mounds there to try to summon the deep ones, more Lovecraftian deities from these things. So. 
it's just sort of fascinating. I mean, how so many of these groups latch on to a lot of these regions and you've seen just a lot of this, just, you know, really weird shit going on there. <laughs> the, and then on the backdrop of, uh, you know, serial killers popping up and, you know, Mothman and uh, in Wisconsin, I mean, you've got werewolves and bat people and it's kind of like bat stranger people. things happening for some weird reason. Imagine, is there a cryptid called bad people? Because I am <laughs> down. Um, it, sounds, it sounds like Skin, Skidwalker Ranch over there. Well, all fucking crazy shit popping up left and right oh yeah well utah is another one man i mean again like when they told me about the you know ritual abuse thing like coming out especially in that county that it's in oh my lord i mean just that whole i've been there a couple of times man and there is just some nasty stuff that goes on there i mean you go walking in those canyons just a little bit you'll see i mean all these occult markings and stuff like that yeah. it's another area man i mean if you actually get out there and tour this stuff i mean you see how like interconnected some of this stuff like the criminal like what the human trafficking is with a lot of this ritualistic stuff and even you know just points on the earth and so forth i find it very interesting that uh that ohio is very powerful for mystic things uh for mystic reasons alabama's like that as well and what i find interesting is that they're both kind of huge uh Football programs as well. Like Alabama is where basically the real NASA is. Everyone everyone goes to Houston like, oh, it's over there. Uh-uh, dude. It is in Alabama. That's where all the real stuff happens. Um, God, dude. Uh, that's where all the real stuff happens. And now you have Ohio and all the stuff going on in Ohio. And you're like, why? why? It just seems like a crazy region. Yeah. And I mean, well, also, too, I mean, you've got like a lot of those big families that moved out there. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, one hand from the Society of Cincinnati people settled it, settled it. You got a lot of those, you know, kind of Yankee blue blood families like the Taft family. Mm. They were from Braintree, uh, Massachusetts, actually, originally. I mean, of course, they helped set up Skull and Bones. They had one family member as a president. And then you've got kind of like the new money, like Carl uh, Carl Linder, I think, in the Linder family. I mean, these were a big part. These guys were a big part of, um, oh, what's his name? Michael Milken's network, which tied in with Trump and Epstein and all this other stuff. So, I mean, just Cincinnati alone, there are so many just insanely wealthy families in that little subsection there. And then, I mean, you've also got like a lot of other stuff at Columbo and Columbus and some of the other areas, man. I mean, it's just nuts. It is nuts. It is, it is crazy. And they're just, and, you know, you bring up Utah, you know, I, I, we have a big following in Salt Lake, wonderful people. We love going there. But again, we hear all these stories of, child sex trafficking and stuff like that. And I, I'm not just, you know, pointing that Utah is the only place. I, I think anywhere where you have a power dynamic, a pyramid, there is the use of like dark arts and in particular pedophilia for both, um, both as kind of like a ritual of uh, to be accepted into the group and, and uh, blackmail. Yeah. And I mean, it's like with Ohio, I mean, just it's like so much stuff comes together as well, because I mean, it has historically been a major hub 
of trafficking, you know, going back to like prohibition, because again, another thing you got to sort of understand about like Ohio, a, I mean, you've got the Ohio river running through it. So that was historically a big way of smuggling, but also, I mean, most of the major like cities in the East coast and like the Midwest, um, you know, Detroit, Milwaukee, Chicago, New York, Boston. I mean, a lot of these places are only about six or seven hours from like Ohio. So it was a major cross section for a lot of these different regions. And I kind of think for that reason alone, too, it also became uh, a major gambling hub. Now, the gambling was mostly Newport, Kentucky, which was like right across the border, but it was always overseen by the Cleveland mob, Mo Dalitz and all those people. And these were the same guys that were eventually taken out to uh, to run Las Vegas when it was set up. But like in the years prior to the Cold War, I mean, like Ohio was really also like the major hub for like organized gambling that the mob was like running as well. So there was just like historically this huge legacy of trafficking that went on through this whole region, combined with the fact that you've got like kind of the sacred, you know, Indian mounds there, you've got these occult orders like Skoldom Bones, the Society of Cincinnati that have like all these connections to it. I mean, it's really a perfect storm in a lot of ways. I mean, how often do we get people to come on here talking about how often uh, Native American women go missing? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and it sounds like these states are full. It's like I'm pretty sure they got a bigger population than other states about with Native Americans. Yeah, well, I mean, and just minority communities. And I mean, you know, again, I would recommend people watch uh, the great Joe Berlinger docuseries going the missing women of Ohio. I mean, it's just it's sickening to see just how epidemic human trafficking is there and just how much women are so much played on from these minority communities from these impoverished, poor communities and so forth. Because, I mean, you know, most of this, this, you know, whole region was really devastated by the Rust Belt or, um, you know, about the lack of manufacturing jobs moving out and so forth that turned it into the Rust Belt. And I mean, as a result of that, I mean, you had A, the opioid epidemic breaking out, and then B, consequently, that led to just so many uh, victims among children and women there. I mean, the most vulnerable aspects of society who were, you know, uh, brought into trafficking. It's just, it's terrible. Um, it really is. And uh, when you see how, I mean, thoroughly it's been documented and the fact that there's almost nothing done about it, it's just really horrifying. It really is horrifying. And, it, and it's crazy <laughs> because I personally think that, that because there's no, there, for the longest time, there was no awareness of what was going on because again the the information highway was controlled by a small group of people and then we they were able to manipulate us because listen let's face it the most of the most of your population is naive they they believe cuz they're good people that the people who seek power are good people as well and they fall for it because it actually takes work to sit there and listen to what's being said, research it, and and, and uh, basically see how that plays against what's already happened in history. And yeah. people don't want to do that. People just want to work all day, harder than they've ever had to work before, for less money than we made in the past, and then come home turn on an hour of the news and be like, I'm informed and then move on. Yeah. That's what they want to do. They, they don't actually want to know what's going on. They want to know what the collective wants to believe. And I understand that to a point because I used to be like that, 
But man, when you really start to understand what is going on and, you know, there's this whole thing in Hollywood right now where it's like they've had this Me Too movement where white female actresses have completely and utterly destroyed the dynamic between men and women in Hollywood. They have weaponized it for their own gain because most of them don't know the difference between fame and infamy. And they think it's the same thing. But what they none of those people get upset about is child abuse, child sex abuse. And the reason is, is because child children who have abused cannot get people canceled. They can't band together to take down these fucking predators. So there's nothing politically to gain from it. So they just let it go. So we'll have a girl who got like, who, who on set heard a bad joke and we rally behind her or this dumb, excuse my language, bitch who called out Norm Macdonald after he died. And everyone's like, you're so brave. There's nothing brave about that. Calling out a dead man who can't defend himself, making accusations. Oh, you're so brave. Nobody says anything about children to get hurt. Very rarely. And I'm not talking 17-year-olds, which is wrong. I'm talking about really young, young kids. Like preteens. Nobody yeah. says anything. Because they can't form a coalition to cancel somebody. And they can't beat up anybody that comes at them. So you'll have people cry about racism while openly laughing at pedophilia jokes. It's just crazy. Well, I mean, even then, it just seems like there's nothing, you know, again, really done about any of this stuff in the real world. I mean, you know, you're, I don't know, like trying to go back and like revisit the racism implicit in like H.P. Lovecraft's work or something like that. And then, you know, again, like I'm kind of talking about like with this situation, Horio, you have like minority communities that are being openly preyed on about this. You have activists in these regions that are like trying to do something about it. And they're like literally turning up dead from what were probably hot shots and things like that. Um and, what do you mean by hot shots? Well, that's like when you deliberately give somebody a uh, a dose of heroin or something to that effect that you know is going to induce an overdose. Like, see, that was the thing with the Chillicothe Six. Several of the women were actually murdered via hot shots. Okay, okay, let's get into that. This Whoa. is, yeah, this is, this is, this is it, man. So. But I mean, it's just, you know, again, like, where's the outrage? I mean, Joe, and again, this is something Joe Berlinger, this is the guy who made the docuseries or the documentaries on the West Memphis Three, the Paradise Lost movies. I mean, he does the docuseries on this, and it's just like, where's the outrage? You've got, you know, African-American women activists even who are just being treated in these just horrendous fashions or being murdered and preyed upon. And I mean, where, I mean, shouldn't people be more pissed off about this? No, I'm totally with you. And where's BLM with all that? Where Where's all that? It's, you know, it's just like it's really happening out there and nobody wants to say anything. Nobody wants to say anything because we're all too worried about Joe Biden and, and he, you know, all the COVID's over. It's not over and all. And that did affect people. I understand that. But there's like real shit going on in your community that nobody's paying attention to. And, you know, we have Alex Stein, who's doing a great job out there getting in Dan Crenshaw's grill, that one-eyed John McCain, okay, and calling him out about supporting the Ukraine while not doing stuff about cities that don't have clean water in the United States. And every and the left getting mad at this. This is what needs to happen. We need to start putting these politicians 
feet to the fire, man. We need to start questioning. Now, I'm not the, oh, we got to get rid of everything, anarchy and all that stuff. Even though I'm an anarchist, I'm not, I'm not calling for anything. Like I'm just calling for accountability, man. We need people to be held accountable. You're coming after our children. These doctors who are performing these sex changes on ki- children should be thrown in fucking jail, okay? It's ridiculous. Anyways, I, I don't know if you want to get into any of that, Recluse, but I want to ask you something. So, Ohio, we got the whole human trafficking network, the connection, Epstein, Lex Wexner. Let's get into that because I was just in Columbus playing the Columbus Funny Bone, and they have the biggest um uh what's it called uh uh, uh what's a victoria's secrets store i've ever seen in my Ooh. life it's like two floors it's humongous uh what were you doing in there sam what what were you doing in there sam i, I walked by it but believe oh. me i used to want to go find the 32 <laughs> double d's and just hang out and watch unicorns run by well, again, this is like something where, you know, I mean, Ger Bollinger, when he was like investigating this, um, Angela Clemente, one of the investigators he hired, had done a uh, foyer request with the FBI while the FBI's investigation was ongoing because they had heard allegations that this attorney based out of uh, news, uh, Newport, uh, Portsmouth, excuse me, Portsmouth, uh, Ohio, which is right there at the border with Kentucky, a uh, Mike McLaren, I think. Uh, had connections to Epstein. I mean, this was like a major figure in a lot of this, you know, trafficking that was going on in this whole region and all throughout the US 23. And the FBI has been stonewalling these requests essentially for six years now, even though it seems like there were some incredible accounts from some of the women in the area that uh, there might have been a connection to this. And I mean, again, you know, certainly Columbus is like right in, you know, that whole vicinity. I mean, Epstein was known to uh, stay out of, I think, one of Lex Westner's properties there for a lot of years. Uh, again, just given how destitute this whole region was, it would have been a, you know, it would have been a compelling place to recruit women from for the kind of stuff that he was doing. Uh, so, yeah, it's the possibility that cannot be discounted, especially with how epidemic human trafficking is in that whole area. How, how much research have you done into Epstein? I mean, a little bit here and there. I mean, I still haven't really gotten to crunch into like the inner depths of his network. I mainly have looked at a lot of like the backdrop with like some of the historical figures and what have you. But like, what was your question exactly? Well, my question is like, why? Why him? What about him? Something happened in college where he 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 tested out to be the perfect guy that they want. They either knew that he was a sexual pervert, uh, um, uh, egomaniac, something like that, because he drops out of school. He gets a job at uh, William Barr's father's school. He, he, uh, why him? Have you ever found that out? Well, I think it goes a lot deeper than that, Sam. I mean, you have to sort of remember that, uh, among other things, Epstein was a gifted kid. And the gifted program was initiated by a guy called Lewis Terman out of Stanford University. And this is basically a full-blown eugenics program that's been run in the United States since at least the uh, 50s and mass that nobody talks about. But more or less, you know, from the very beginning, we all take IQ tests, personality tests and stuff, and then we're segregated, whether we pump you know pan out as alpha or betas 
And that determines the kind of education we get. The alphas get to go into the gifted programs and all this other good stuff. And the betas get like common core and all this other garbage that prepares them for a lifetime of um, marginal work, basically. Yes. Whereas conversely, the gifted kids are trained to be your managerial class. So Epstein was flagged initially for a whole part of, uh, you know, because of his IQ, most likely, and other factors with this gifted program, which means that early on somebody saw talent in him. And then the connection to Barr is especially interesting because Barr was also a guy who was involved in the early gifted program. And prior to um, his time at Dalton, he was there at Columbia, uh, Columbus University, I believe, uh, the really big one there in New York, which is where they had a really interesting gifted program going on in the 50s. It was the one that was being run by William Sheldon, who um, he was the one with those psychological profiles like xenomorph and all that other kind of crap that was later taken into like athletics. And uh, at the same time, he was being assisted in this by a guy called Walter Breen. Uh, who subsequently became the husband of Marion Zimmer Bradley and uh, was convicted of pedophilia, uh, raping his own daughter, nonetheless, other things. Uh, this was also supposedly the program that Jack Sarfati, the quantum physicist, was in, and this sort of plays in all the woo-woo stuff with the nine and what have you. Um, you know, Sarfati had claimed that he was contacted, I think, by mechanical voices that told him to go to this program. Mm -hmm. But this was like the one that Barr kind of came out of, and you already had a guy like Walter Breen, who then ended up going out to freaking San Francisco. He goes around Berkeley and then he sets up his own sort of like eugenics program where he's trying to recruit people from Menza and so forth to pair them up and uh, produce children. So to make a long story short, yes, I think Epstein was selected because uh, he was very much a part of this eugenics program. And if you've really looked at the history of the gifted program, you will note that uh, one of the major people that Terman uh, picked to start out the program with would subsequently have a son who became a senior figure in the military and uh, has been linked to psychological warfare and child abuse for decades. So That's incredible. That's incredible. So these, these gifted programs are basically just trying to find, you know, Madmen like evil geniuses like Lex Luthor out there. Well, yeah, there have been a firm like Amy Bishop, the people, her son Chris Knowles went to school. She was gifted. Uh, Ted Wazinski, the Unabomber, was, mm -hmm. I think, one of them. Definitely. I mean, see, this is sort of like the interesting thing about the gifted program because you're looking for high IQ individuals who, you know, on the one hand, you need to sort of run society, but also you need to keep an eye on because these are the same people that could theoretically cause issues. So I think this is why you see a lot of them, you know, eventually sort of driven insane and triggered for stuff like that, do you, do you, you think know, Unabomber this, kind of thing. Do you think this starts like in elementary? Because I remember being separated yeah. in class where they're like, hey, these are the smart yeah. two kids and then they go to a different hole so since elementary they're picking they're picking yeah, these no that was one i wow. i think it was like second grade i was taken into like a room and they asked me if i wanted to go to a special school and they gave me like these weird tests and stuff like yeah, that see that's, i didn't get asked i they just yeah, me, well i flung first grade well, no so but like, i mean yeah. i took the test and they just put me in the other school i think they didn't ask me if i wanted to go in the other school 
I had to. I'm, well, we just played chess the whole time. Now that's all we did. See, and that's like the thing is like, yeah. And then I've heard a lot of weird stuff. I know, like my mates at uh, the Penny Royal podcast. This is another weird thing too that I've sort of noticed since I really started to develop more of a following. I almost always end up getting sought out by fellow gifted kids. Like, uh, I mean, almost everybody that does like the Penny Royal stuff. I mean, as a gifted kid for some Penny Royal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's that? Uh, that was like it kind of grew out of the whole hell your thing, but I mean it's a podcast that investigates all the weird doings on in Somerset with the colds, like a lot of the weird stuff there. Nice. Shout out but, Penny Roll Podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, those guys are great. But I mean, you know, again, they were all gifted, Nathan, uh, Darren. And it was like the same thing. I mean, they had them going to this weird school where they were reading a lot of this classical literature, and specifically it was I know yeah. one of the texts was the one where they got the doest thou wilt from with the abbey and what have you do you guys know what i'm talking about it was like pigamarn oh shoot i cannot no. remember gargantuan no. ah but anyway like yes it was a lot of very esoteric literature from like the 16th or 17th century so uh i mean i know um christian ezerby had done like the whole thing on project bright with computers i mean in this case like in the 80s you know they were using some of the early apple stuff with the gifted kids to kind of train the algorithms for eventually that became ai research oh no i do remember being put on apple computers those those old apple twos yeah and doing a lot of see-through ones the ones that were see-through no, way earlier than that. No, oh, way earlier than that. Like, you, you were helping design like the AI that's eventually. That's Congratulations, so Shotty. Yeah. You enslaved the humanity. Good job on that. <laughs> Good awesome. job. We were all helping educate it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we have two smart people and two not smart people. That's not true. Exactly. Very true. That is I'm very like, true. John, no, that is very Xavier's true. Xavier's smart. Xavier's smart. Yeah. So. Lex Wessner, it's very interesting that nothing's happened to Lex Wessner. And, you know, I just want to say this real quick. One thing I've talked about on this show is that I think we live in a haunted house. This whole where we live is a haunted house. Some places are more haunted than others. But I think some are also haunted, but they're not obviously haunted, right? Like there's evil lurking, but it's kind of hidden behind this kind of like you know this kind of like oh pleasantville kind of look right like and that yeah, sounds like I, ohio I've been to ohio's Ohio. a great state i'm not anti-ohio or utah at all but there are there is some craziness going on yeah i mean there is that kind of very much like twin peaks component to it but i mean it kind of seems like that's usually like kind of the tell like the more wholesome the place is it mm-hmm. sort of seems like the weirder i mean a lot of the stuff is mm-hmm. going on underneath the surface you know uh but yeah i mean again it just doesn't surprise me that you see so many of these people driven out there because i mean hey there's just you know the isolation i mean you know you can get away with so much out there in this kind of region you have sort of like the mystical significance of it i mean that's been there i mean since even before the colonists showed up and i mean you know another thing that we haven't even talked about but to kind of bring it together the archetypes i mean it's even like some of the people there themselves i mean another thing about us 23 is it was big in the appalachian you know disaroba it brought all the scots irish up into the ohio and michigan area and it's just you know really fascinating when you look at something like the rodent murders uh that happened in piketon i think ohio this whole southern ohio region 
this was the one that got like a lot of press a couple of years ago. It was the whole family that was like basically like murdered, you know, essentially like eight people. They had like the cannabis oh. farms there. And there's a speculation for years ago, it was the Mexican drug cartels. And oh, no, yeah. turned out it was another family. And it's just so fascinating to me because this is a Scots Irish family and it's pretty much like playing out just like how they used to do in the borders years ago. Because, I mean, the family that killed them, the Newtons, were mostly from Kentucky. It's almost like the same thing in the old days where, you know, again, you had this romantic relationship between the Rodents and the Newton, uh, like one of the sons and daughters on either side. And it's like the same thing with the old days with the borders, you know, and the... um, you know, you do the raid on the other side, you kill all the family, you take the women off and come back on the other side. Uh, you know, that was sort of a tradition that was enshrined with like the whole shotgun wedding in Appalachia in the U.S. And then you see this weird ass modern manifestation where it's like, again, another family's crossing the border. They're doing the same kind of criminality, act, you know, activity. They kill the whole family. They come back uh i mean it's just really amazing on some levels and just the way that you can see how so much of this stuff i mean still affects us on an archetypical level and i mean how much of this is just you know a drama that we've all been playing out time and time again in different forms man it is crazy man i didn't i didn't even know that so like what i like it's so because when we think of weed we're just like, you know, last of fire and peace and love, my brothers. Right. And like, I think that, you know, we saw that doc and they say it's exaggerated, but murder mountain about all the weed stuff going on in there. The story about how, like, you know, hunting Bigfoot where yeah. basically told a story uh, to this tweaker that they knew would tell everybody that Bigfoot killed him. And it was really like, they killed these Mexicans that were coming to kill uh, this elderly weed uh, growing family. And so it's like, it's like crazy. Like wherever there's money and power, there is violence and weed is no different. And, you know, I just saw a doctor today on um, <clears throat> Twitter talking about how like they're starting to see schizophrenia popping up in kids who start smoking weed really early. And I've said this before, man. I mean, I'm old school, dude. I've been, my friends all had to buy weed in bags and then do lawn maintenance to get rid of the seeds and the stems because there's so much garbage in there, right? <clears throat> and it wasn't very powerful weed. This new shit is crazy. And I know a lot of people smoke a lot of weed, man. And I'm being honest with you. There's a lot of bipolarness going on there. They go zero to angry very quickly, man. And you have to kind of like, you know, you kind of got to be an animal trainer with them. You got to kind of take it easy and learn learn levers to pull and buttons to punch to get certain reactions all the time. And I've seen it happen. I've been talking about it for a long time. But now that this new study comes out, I just say always be wary if something is everywhere all the time suddenly all at once i mean and it's and it definitely is the weed because it's high but i mean at your show you saw what a dab is that is what i think can fuck you up it's like 90 percent thc if you've never done it it can instantly like it's, again, it's intense I'm not anti-weed i'm not like i think you should oh, no. i mean i, I participate I, in that regulation yeah. d uh i think drugs should be legal I but just this is but this is a giant 
experiment because we we haven't yet had a generation that's been exposed chronically to this level of thc and all the other you know cannabinoids and and other chemicals and substances and and pot you know what i mean like i mean nobody knows what's at the end of this a lifetime of use well you know at this level we're gonna find out here when when these when these guys start to get older that that grew up with like medical grade pot Uh, the only good thing about about this that i've heard is that the kids aren't doing it as much because it's not seen as a forbidden fruit no more yeah like the yeah, younger yeah. younger kids because oh, they're looking yeah. at kind of like liquor that's kind of what i've Europe. heard too yeah. i mean i'm actually like more kind of that's like sort of the thing that worries me because when i understand i mean like a lot of the younger kids have been getting more into pills uh especially like meth and stuff like that uh which i mean i think has some other issues i mean i almost like sort of feel like in some ways by like decriminalizing weed you know you're kind of like almost making it boring so that i mean some people will start experimenting with some of this other crazier stuff oh, interesting. Yeah. so legalize it all then it all becomes boring right that's how that works yeah <laughs> uh, well i mean I'm it worked in portugal dude punitive point of view like i don't think you should be in jail because you did drugs yeah decriminalize yeah, it doesn't it. make any sense but what do you get well how's that work i mean what is, you are you saying fines because then if they don't pay the fines they go to jail right how's that work well i don't think it should be fine i don't i don't because you're like if you're high on meth and you're just doing something crazy on the street that's a different crime if you're at home doing drugs yeah and not bothering anybody or even if you're driving somewhere with drugs Unless you're committing a crime, like a like robbing a bank or something like that, or crash your car, I don't. Why should you be going to jail for having drugs on you? Yeah, I mean, like, you wouldn't imprison somebody for just being an alcoholic. I mean, you know, you imprison them if they commit a crime while they're drunk, but I mean, not for just being an alcoholic. Speaking, and of I dry- think the best part would be like literally just take their drugs away. Don't give them a fine. If you take someone's eight ball away, that's enough pain. Yeah, and guess who's gonna do the eight ball? <laughs> yeah. The cops. <laughs> With their stripper girlfriends, okay? Dude, good they point. probably good have point. all the fentanyl pa- tests you can you could ever want. So I want to get into Route 23. Tell me a little bit about Route 23. That's the Hillbilly Highway, man. The Dixie Highway. Like I said, that was like the route that everybody took out of like Appalachia to go work in the factories and what have you in uh you know Michigan and places like that. Uh subsequently, you know, again, kind of on the archetypal levels, it inspired lots of songs about it and what have you. You got some lots of country stuff, Steve Earl and uh Dwight Yoakum and all that other stuff. But again, more recently, it has become the major hub of uh human trafficking and drug trafficking. It's like one of the major routes because it goes through so many isolated regions and its way to big cities. So it's kind of ideal for that. And it got so epidemic that they had to come up with this, uh, what was it, U.S. Uh, 23 Major Crimes Task Force, combining together a lot of these uh, law enforcement agencies. And getting into like what you guys were saying, corruption was just so epidemic in this task force that I think by like 2014, they had to bring in like the FBI to run it because, I mean, it was just so corrupted by that point. But I mean, that was, again, a major issue that they were having with like all the stuff with like, um, you know, the crime alarm 23, because the police were so much involved in all of this. I mean, and and it got even worse with like, OK, the Chillicothe six, like the women. Uh, OK, real quick, you, you've referenced that a couple of times. 
Tell us a little bit about the, that case. The Chillicothe Six were six women who had disappeared around Chillicothe, Ohio, I think between the years 2012 and 2014. Four of them uh, subsequently turned up dead. I believe two of them are still missing. And then there were several other women who had disappeared in Columbus and Portsmouth uh, nearby that were kind of in the same milieu. And the thing about all of these women that I was just going to say that really unites them is virtually all of them seem to have been police informants. Okay. In fact, one of the women who disappeared in Portsmouth had meticulous records that she had kept of all her drug and prostitution transactions. She had the phone number of this Mike McLaren guy, like all of these other cops Damn. and stuff like that. Okay, so she uh, turned up uh, dead, I think, possibly from a hot shot in that case. Her sister got like all of this stuff. Uh, and then also she took like the last brawl that she had and put it in the freezer because it had like some of her DNA on it in case her body was found so they could run tests and stuff like that. So yeah, maybe they didn't find Megan's body. I can't remember now off the top of my head, but her sister subsequently then turned up dead herself. Dude, you're so, living dangerous if you're freezing DNA. But yeah, and this is just like, in, you know, again, it's like there's so much evidence that the cops were like directly involved in all of this stuff, man. I mean, it's just nuts. And that's like where, you know, again, it just gets so hard for anything to be done in that specific region because it's so evident that, I mean, law enforcement seems to be who is actually behind a lot of this trafficking and what have you. And again, when you look at the presence of Wexner, of Epstein right there in Columbus and the fact that it looks like a lot of these women who, you know, were disappearing, were working directly with the police. I mean, it's, you know, it's a very uh, unsettling picture. Now, do you do you think that they were working in the sense of like they were just telling like who John's were like, hey, this guy hired me or or this cop is banging hookers or what? Did you do any research into that? I haven't looked into it too much. And I mean, certainly it would be hard to discern from like a lot of the women outside of Megan Lancaster because Megan was keeping like really, really meticulous notes of this kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it could definitely be for blackmail purposes because I mean, she was sleeping with some cops, you know, with some very prominent, you know, local politicians and what have you. So, I mean, you get into this element as well where, I mean, the cops are running a lot of these women as informants. Well, I mean, they're starting to see, I mean, the VIPs and stuff that they're potentially serving and all that other kind of stuff so once I mean, again i mean this opens up a lot of opportunities for law enforcement to make money on the side i mean and doesn't it run through florida yeah it, well yeah, no it goes Oxy express, yeah, yeah right? it goes down to jackson yeah it goes yeah all that the way sounds down to like jacksonville yeah, yeah, yeah that sounds like it has to do with the oxy express yeah it does it does it does a lot I of mean, pill it, mills yeah well, it also goes through a big chunk of Georgia. And I mean, that's just another state where, I mean, human trafficking. I mean, I was just talking to one of my friends about all the stuff that goes on in Athens, Georgia, which, again, is like right along this route. Um, Asheville, Kentucky or Ashland, Kentucky is another one that it goes through. I mean, it's just remarkable. When you look at 123 and all the areas it goes through and you just keep seeing, again, opioids, human trafficking, lots of children disappearing. Uh, it's uh, it's not a good thing. If you have a power football program, I'm assuming there's some shady shit going around it, it, where you are. Because you just mentioned Georgia. I remember thinking, oh, man, I wonder if the Georgia Bulldogs guys, bam, all of a sudden we're in the Georgia now, too. So. It's yeah, it's, kind of yeah it's, it's interesting. Yeah, you bring that up with the football programs. But again, I mean, again, knowing what we know about like Sadowski and I mean, all the stuff that was going yeah, on in dude, state, hey, I mean, yeah, right you got to wonder. 
Because, I mean, yeah, this is like the same region of the country. I mean, once again, that's like what Western uh, Pennsylvania. I mean, that's right next to Ohio. So, yeah. I mean, we have uh, Ohio State involved, Penn State, Michigan State, all involved with some really dark, 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 dark stuff when it comes to children. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, I could definitely see that, too, in Georgia, because, again, you know, the the football programs there and just the athletic programs in general, just so big for the African-American communities because there's so much poverty there among them. And that's I mean, well, really, that's been the big way for most African-Americans to get to college in the first place is through the athletic programs. But I mean, in there it's even a bigger deal. And I mean, you know, subsequently you've got stuff like the Atlanta child murders. I mean, we already know about that kind of insane shit. So uh, just, uh, you know, I've, I've spoken to several people who have investigated stuff on site and that whole area. And I mean, there, uh, there are terrible things done in that area. Let's just put it mildly. And, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the athletic programs, I mean, are a way that this is uh, used to cover it up because, I mean, God only knows, I mean, how many people have athletic scholarships and what have you held over their heads to keep silent. Yeah, I mean, for sure. So the Route 23 goes all the way from Ohio all the way down to Florida, running through all these major states where there's a lot. It goes all the way up to Michigan, actually. Uh, I think it actually goes maybe all the way up to like the Canadian border. Uh, don't say, to... oh, that starts bringing Peter Nagar in there. Is that yeah. how you say his last name? Yeah. 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 I mean, if that goes all the way to Canada. That's all. That sounds like perfect, perfect thing for him. Why do you think? So I have this theory that when somebody gets old and there's no more use for them, they kind of throw them under the train and be like, look, we're battling this stuff. We have this guy. We, uh, you know, you have Jeffrey Epstein, who's much older. You have, you know, have um, Peter Nygar that's older. And maybe uh, Ghislaine Lex Maxwell. Lex Wexner is uh, old as fuck, too. They, they represent and the older guard. That they're kind of like, we got to get rid of this older guard. Let's throw somebody under the uh, bus so we they think we're doing something. We got this new person coming up that's running the show on the side. Do you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I do think periodically, you know, I mean, you do. Uh, you know, I mean, if these guys already know they're dying or something like that. I mean, or, you know, if they've outlived their usefulness. I mean, obviously, Epstein was a guy who had talent that could be used but i mean he wasn't uh i think a guy you know who was like read in in the sense that he was born into some of these more exclusive families i mean it's debatable how much of his you know actual money belonged to him i mean or whether it had been earned you know for other people through some of the activities that he was involved with uh so i mean i do think that there is sort of like that dynamic too but i mean yeah. uh yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, again, it kind of seems, though, like, again, this stuff never really ends, regardless, I mean, of who gets thrown under the bus. I mean, uh, Sam, now that you say that, you know that happened during El Chapo's case. Uh, El Mayo has a son that's an American citizen. He let himself get caught up and told the FBI he'd snitch on El Chapo so he can get an easy deal. And then when he's clear, what do you think he's going to go back to doing? You think he's going to be working at McDonald's? No, nah, yeah. he's he's snitching on Chapo. They gave him an easy deal, but why does it matter? Chapo was already caught up. What are you snitching on the guy that's already in jail? Yeah, and and Ch Chapo was Chapo was yeah. making donations to the Clinton Foundation. Yeah, so like if he they're was doing just that, a middle yeah. manager. He's a regional middle manager 
for this larger apparatus that was operating. That's all it is, dude. Again, it goes back to mobs, right? And how they all have Catholic backgrounds. It all goes back to, in my humble opinion, Jesuit order stuff. They run both sides of the 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 uh, crime, both punishment and the actual organizations. Um, back to the uh, the six that died. Okay, um, back to the six that died. So there was a belief that it was a serial killer at first, and yeah. was somebody tried for that. I mean, you know, dudes get thrown. Not that probably not all of them are all innocent too, but there's probably somebody that they're all like, who can we throw under the bus? The yeah, plane? it was actually that Neil Neil Phils, I think, or something like that. The guy that was uh, killed in Charleston, West Virginia, by a prostitute that he was actually trying to murder, but he had killed several women along various interstates and there's actually been some attempts to link him to like other murders too there was a lot of speculation that he was the i-70 killer as well um so yeah it kind of seems like you know and again i've started to wonder about this more and more it does seem like in the case of some of these serial killers i mean this might have been you know even more of a mythos that was built up to cover up some of this uh you know child trafficking and some of the other stuff that you know i mean went on with it i mean we you know kind of saw hints of that with things like Mark Dutroux and what have you in Belgium, uh, where, I mean, again, you know, whether or not he was actually, I mean, a serial killer per se, as we would generally understand it is debatable. I mean, it seems more likely that he was procuring kids and uh, uh, for people for certain activities that he was also engaging in. And, uh, you know, you got to kind of wonder, you know, I mean, how much of what some of these other serial killers was doing was related to things like that. Uh, I mean, like a guy like, you know, Ted Bundy, for instance, I mean, he's going around to a lot of these you know, universities that were uh, like Washington State or the University of Washington, rather, that were linked to a lot of like MK Ultra kind of research. Uh, he briefly actually converted to Mormonism and ended yeah. up in, uh, you know, I think Brigham University there for a while. So, I mean, you know, again, you got to I mean, this is just kind of interesting because, again, this is a whole area where, you know, trafficking is epidemic. I mean, with a lot of the fundamentalist Mormon sex and you got a guy like Ted Bundy, like sort of wandering around there. So, I mean, again, you know, what is this exactly going on? Is he just a serial killer? Is there some other component to all of this? And, Drugs, MK Ultra. that's a that's a really big deal. That's a really big deal. Like the notion of serial killers. Uh, and what role intelligence communities have in, uh, with them? And are they pawns being used? Are they getting blamed for murders that maybe they didn't commit that were committed by, you know, uh, controlled opposition, agent provocateurs, uh, and then meant to seem like serial killers so everybody's really afraid uh, to go outside, demanding more law enforcement all that stuff that's that plays into all of that i mean the 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 charles manson thing is the greatest example of how, how like their the, the the intelligence communities will create chaos and just to collect data and well just the whole i mean the th the manson thing is like remarkable just a i mean just the extent to which they've employed propaganda against this guy i mean it's just like one lowly you know, I mean, inbred freaking serial killer from like app. He's not even a serial killer in the first place, but it's alleged serial killer from Appalachia 
warrants i mean a guy like uh the dude that they later brought out to freaking uphold the jfk investigation like trying to do like this book about him and what have you i mean to frame this narrative about manson it's like the guy wasn't a serial killer he was a freaking cult leader slash drug dealer uh they totally just covered up i mean the extensive ties that he had to like the upper echelons of hollywood uh and then possibly i mean the white supremacist underground i mean elements of you know i think was the american gladio wing i mean there's just so much stuff with tell this. me about the american gladio wing well i mean again that actually kind of seems like it was run you know heavily around again one of these like sort of catholic orders that you're talking about in this case specifically the order of saint john uh, which was tied into a lot of these christian identity groups a lot of these fundamentalist mormon sects and i mean this is where you get into groups like tenure you know people like the order of timothy mcveigh uh the bombings of a lot of african-american churches that were going on i mean uh Oh, God, the sick temple shootings, just, I mean, all kinds of other, I mean, types of right-wing terrorism that we've seen for a lot of years now. And you in the case- they have intelligence backgrounds to them? Oh, like- yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in the case of like, um, okay, like the KKK in Alabama during the 60s and 70s, uh, there's actually been, uh, you know, I actually have foyer requests that came out from the FBI that this was actually still going on into the 80s that, I mean, you had members of the 20th Special Forces Group working with like the KKK with the Civilian Material Assistance Group. And this is really significant because the 20th Special Forces Group is a domestic Special Forces Group from the National Guard that among other things, according to these FBI documents I have, would be initiated in the event that the United States government was decapitated. This means that this is the special forces group that would be that would take the lead in restoring order in the country if continuity of government was initiated. And they are going around and arming and training white supremacist groups. Okay, so think about that for a moment. That is crazy. That just, you know, it's like, I, I do a joke about, you know, people are always like, you know, humans are basically good. I go, oh, you've never been to a kid's park. But in reality, I think uh, people are, I think so much of this crime and chaos would never happen if there wasn't a group of people just manipulating everybody. Wars wouldn't be happening as much. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I mean, we learned about wars through an education system that's meant that was built to lie to us. So I don't know how much uh, of actual violence by human beings is natural and how much of it is just basically controlled opposition, stirring stuff up so that we beg for law and order. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we very much have to be conditioned for this kind of stuff. I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, I don't think that, I mean, human beings are naturally violent towards one another. I mean, when you just look at the way, I mean, American society is structured, I mean, it's like, well, you know, I mean, the whole thing with like gun violence, for example, I mean, nobody really wants to talk about the role that I mean, just, you know, pop culture plays in this. But I mean, again, we grow up in, you know, I mean, a society where it's like, how many times will be seen where like a real alpha male man, you know, I mean, when he wants to resolve a problem, he goes out and he shoots somebody. This is how, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger resolves his problems or Clint Eastwood or Sylvester Stallone. And I mean, you know, again, I'm not saying that we need censorship or anything to that nature. But I mean, again, this is just sort of the way that we're conditioned from a very early age that, you know, you resolve problems through, I mean, hurting other people. Uh, You know, I mean, again, this is something that's so ingrained in us and we never even really think about it at this point. Well, another thing is like if you kind of study like 
what they show you and what they don't show you, more importantly, what they don't show you, which is like, let's say the news bank robbery. We've talked about this before. They don't show you bank robberies on the on the news because they don't want monkey see monkey do. They don't want you to copy that, thinking it's okay to do that, to go try to rob a bank. They don't want to plant that into your head. Yet they show you nothing but school shootings all the time. Bill Maher, who I don't agree with all the time, was talking about if we have a if you're telling us we have a gun problem, gun violence problem, why are you showing gun violence on everything? Yeah. Why are our our video game and like I get pushed back from Oh yeah, gamers. the first person shooter games are like another one. I mean How you and- don't see that? How you don't see that is unbelievable. A guy walking down the hallway and we could even have discussions on how many of those are real, but walking on the highway pegging people off and by I mean real meaning that the shooter they say did it, did it, okay? You're right, go around shooting people. That looks just like first player. How you and then we add all the psych meds we're getting these kids on. What's going through? What's manipulating? What what kind of manipulation are these psych meds doing to your ability to be vulnerable to suggestion? Yeah, I mean, I think also too, I mean, you've got psychotronics that have been like factored into a lot of this stuff, but I mean, yeah, it's just uh uh, again, I mean, with what's been done with some of this stuff, and it just seems like, again, it goes into this whole plan to cause, I mean, more order and chaos, which, uh, or I mean, excuse me, just chaos in general. I mean, there is no order. There's no semblance really of a plan anymore. Uh, it's kind of like we're basically on a sinking ship at this point, and nobody really knows what to do. I know what to do. Croft Magog guns <laughs> and raise food and stuff. But I want to get into something that you were talking about earlier, and that is the connection between Donald Trump and Epstein, which has been a a big debate for a long time. Um, I have said before, I think Donald Trump is a crime boss. I think uh, there's a lot of Democrats like Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton that are satanic pedophiles. Uh, what do you think? What What's your research tell tell you? Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely think there was a connection. I mean, specifically through that whole like milieu with like Michael Milken and what have you, which is just, you know, again, he was the junk bond king. And I mean, this brings up like so many people on the one hand who would later play a big role in Trump's rise. I mean, Trump was a part of this network, but also Leon Black, uh, who became such a big backer of Trump. And I mean, also, I think through a holding company brought out uh, Blackwater or whatever it's calling itself now, Academia and so something like that. Roy Cohn, of course, Trump's infamous political mentor, was a part of this whole network with Milken. Uh, again, this was a guy who had probably helped uh, bring Epstein into some of these shenanigans. I mean, certainly there's also the connections with the Maxwell family and all this other stuff. I mean, who were part of this milieu. But it's kind of interesting, too, because another big guy in this that nobody talks about was like Sir James Goldsmith. Uh, who was more or less like the major guy who created the Brexit movement in the UK, uh, which was later taken up. So it's like really this whole sort of network, I mean, around both Trump and Brexit uh, in the United Kingdoms actually goes back to this whole thing with like Milken. And I mean, it was tied into thing with Epstein. And I mean, also on top of that, I mean, if you go back even further, you start seeing all the stuff with Profumo, which had brought down, um, you know, the Macmillan government in the UK, and it might have been a major factor in JFK's Profumo? Yeah, the Profumo scandal. What is that? 
Well, Perfumo was, um, I think, the UK's equivalent of like the Minister of Defense or something like that uh, during the administration of Harold Macmillan. And he had an affair with this chick, Christine Keeler, who was also sleeping with a, a GRU agent at the same time, Soviet intelligence. But she was a part of this broader ring uh, run by this guy, oh gosh, Stevens, I can't remember his name now. But um, anyway, like this guy had also provided uh, girls in the United States. And it seems like several of them had, uh, at least two of them had actually also slept with JFK during the 1960s. So you had the specter of this um, sex ring, Stephen Ward, that's it, Stephen Ward, who had set it up that might have been penetrated by Soviet intelligence. But on the flip side of the coin, the uh, MI6 and the Americans were aware of all this. So they might have been deliberately letting it happen so that they could blackmail, you know, because, I mean, again, you know, they knew Kennedy had slept with a bunch of women, you know, that in and of itself wasn't going to work. But you got him in a blackmail ring that was penetrated by the KGB. Well, you're not getting out of that one, buddy. You're not. I'm with you on that. And it's so crazy because, like, it, it's so interesting. We live in this kind of world where it's like, oh, hey, you do you. You're gay. You be gay. You're trans. You be trans. But yet, like, it's like married men with with affairs on the side, powerful men sleeping with escorts is still super demonized, right? You have the whole story right now of, and I can't stand this band, Maroon 5, that guy, the lead who always takes his shirt off, that Adam garbage guy, right? Like, I, I just, the reason, I don't, he hasn't done anything personal to me, but it's like, it's this, like, it's this presentation of of a uh, a uh, pers- uh, pers- uh, persona that isn't real right that just is like i don't know they're just women love liars they just love liars in entertainment right and they love these pop guys and when they find out they're knuckle draggers everybody loses their shit and here he is married to a victoria's secret model and then he's out banging on the side and only fans and uh everybody's losing their minds right now because we keep demonizing that we create and i'm not saying people should cheat on anybody or anything like that i'm just saying we create this construct that doesn't go along with what nature is right because if we look at we look at what's kind in culture right what is demonized Mm -hmm. men who sleep around and women who date men with money which is if you break it down to your most primal primal levels Men are meant to sleep. Men are meant to procreate with as many females as possible so that they could make ensure they have offspring. And women are meant to date the, the male with the most resources. That is as primal as it gets. It's the same reason men don't want to date women who with a high body count, right? Because the biggest portrayal on the most primal level is raising an offspring that's not yours. Those are basic things. And in our culture, the, the first two, which is men sleeping around and women date and gold, quote unquote, gold, gold diggers are demonized. It's super interesting. So now we have this thing where these powerful men with unlimited resources, they have one woman and they bet another woman. And I'm not saying that you should cheat on your wife. That's not what I'm saying. But we're demonizing this thing that happens all the time, all the time. And that, to the point where we can blackmail people. It's why I push back on all these conspiracy theorists who are like, oh, he's secretly gay. Well, he's secretly gay because of people like you call him out, make him feel like a piece of shit that they can fucking demonize and blackmail. 
That's well, and I'm you've saying. seen it. It's funny. It's because it's that's the especially the men having mistresses thing is a uniquely American thing. You don't see that as much in Europe. They've tried to like you know bring these things up about politicians in Europe, and they can especially France. They don't give a they don't give a shit about that in France, dude. They, it's kind of expected that guys once they yeah, get to a like in a lot of I mean, it's it's really because of if, I mean, Protestant evangelicalism still has I mean yeah. a certain amount of influence in the United States. I mean, yeah, that's it doesn't really work in Europe anymore in a lot of the areas. Uh, I think it was like what I, I think it was like even 10 years ago, I saw like the prime minister of France, like make a joke about like uh, his, uh, you know, vice president or something like having an affair with his yeah. wife or something like, well, I heard he was a little had a little more pop than me or something. Like yeah. That. <laughs> so right? it's just I'm just saying it's used to manipulate. I'm not saying anyone should be cheating on their significant other or anything like that. But I'm like, why are these things so so that seemed like to happen for centuries, now suddenly demonized and used for blackmail. Happens all the time. Do you believe that Trump was in that network participating? Now, I heard that Trump ran uh, honeypots all the time in, 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 um, in New York. And I think the dirtiest game in the business is, either, is drug dealing arms dealing and New York city real estate are like, we're just <laughs> the scumbag and let's, and human trafficking, obviously like that's where the, 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 the scumbags come out. Okay. And Trump was a big part of that. And so he would run all these honey pots all the time. Do you think he was participating in the child sex trafficking uh, business? Yeah, no, I definitely think that he was. I mean, whether or not, I mean, he was directly involved with the, you know, the kids themselves. I mean, I think most likely Trump, it would have been more teenagers and what have you. I mean, I do think that this was more, they're different networks. I mean, some of them cater to like the really young kids. I mean, some are more like the teenage girls and stuff like that. I haven't really seen a lot to make me think that, I mean, Trump really went with like super, super young women. But I mean, yeah, just given his longstanding ties to the mob and I mean, some of the other uh connections with that i mean one of the things again to sort of kind of bring it back a bit about with like ohio that nobody talks about is the biff halloran connection with trump because this was the mob guy who was brought in to lay the what was it the concrete i think um he had essentially a monopoly on like all concrete you know laying in like all of the new york area from his association with the gambino family but this guy set up uh this crime syndicate in louisville kentucky called the company which again was almost totally comprised of like ex you know law enforcement special forces and what have you they were running drugs into the country for cars later and i mean all these people for the medellin cartel during the 1980s they were also supposedly uh making off with you know uh classified like night vision goggles from china lake i mean all this other military hardware that was being shipped uh you know to the, you know the contras and stuff like that and Trump, you know, he's in business with one of the partners of that. And he's showing up in freaking, you know, Louisville for the Kentucky Derbies at this time. And he's there with the Clintons to boot. It's actually like a picture of Hillary Clinton and him like freaking sitting down at the Kentucky Derby. And I mean, this is like running through just this whole area that I've been talking about, you know, with this epidemic with human trafficking and whatnot. So, I mean, it is to make you wonder you know, how far back were Trump and the Clintons really brought into this? And I mean, with the convergence of uh, not just organized crime, but I mean, the military and I mean, all these other groups that were involved in all this kind of stuff, man. I mean, it's striking and it just sort of, you know, again, I think kind of shows that, I mean, there's not, uh, 
you know, a lot of difference between these uh, these groups and what have you as well, because I is mean, it, these guys all came out of the same milieu. Is it possible that crime organizations work together when it's beneficiary and then go to war when they want then they're fighting over the same prize? Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely think that happens. And I think that's a good way to look at like the ruling elite. I mean, they definitely have. I think their crime wars like the old mafia families did. And certainly with the amount of heads of state uh, being removed and dying suddenly uh, at present right now, it does seem like we're in the midst of a uh, an ongoing game of thrones. Uh, so when Trump banned Jeffrey Epstein for hitting on the a member's daughter at Mar-a-Lago. Do you think he was just saving his ass because he knew Trump, uh, Epstein was done? I mean, it's definitely possible with that. I mean, you know, there was, um, again, you know, it's a whole complicated situation. And I mean, also there's sort of the political aspect of it as well, because I mean, it seems like clearly Epstein was meant to target the Democratic Party. And I mean, Trump, again, had been a registered Democrat for a good trunk of his life, which is probably where the ties came from. But I think this was like right around the time he was trying to ingrain himself with the Republican Party. So I mean, again, there might be some factors with that, too. I mean, it's not to say that the Republicans are any less dirty. I'm sure that they have their equivalent of uh, Jeffrey Epstein out there somewhere. But I mean, who knows? They're yeah, it's called the Bushes, dude. <laughs> I mean, George Bush was part of the Lincoln scandal. That's my whole thing. It's like right now. Yes. Right now, the Republicans seem like the voice of reason. And I'm not saying that, you know, because we have some we have a lot of conservatives listen to this show and I'm OK with that. And I love them. I love everybody. You know, I'm a I'm a libertarian. Um, but do the notion that one side is like better than the other. They've all they just go back and forth. What they do is they heard you the one side. And once they're on the uh, there, that side commits all this chaos. And then you get pissed. And you run to the other side and you just run back and forth, back and forth. Now, are there <coughs> like does the Democratic Party have a major satanic pedophile problem? 100% is Matt Gates shady as shit 100% dude if you think that guy is in shady shit you don't know what he's been up you haven't heard the rumors about the guy i mean to do with that haircut do you not think was shady bro <laughs> look at that look at that used car salesman game show host haircut he's wearing dude he grew up in, on that Jim Carrey, what was that Jim Carrey movie where like they followed him around everywhere he went? Oh, the Truman Show. Yeah, he grew up in the Truman Show house. Okay, really? in a college is rumored that his gay lover was murdered. Okay, I mean like where there's smoke, there's fire. So I'm just telling you, man. I'm politically atheist. I don't trust either of these parties as far as I can kick them. Make no doubts about it. The Bush clan, the Clinton clan. All the same clan. Now, I'm not saying that Trump isn't shady. I just think he represents another crime organization that is fighting. It's kind of like, you know, the, the archetype of the Chicago mayor, right? Are you that saying that his crime organization is any in any way less evil than, than the other? I think it's a different crime organization. I don't I know. I think at this point, I will say, I think his organization is less insane from a geopolitical standpoint. I mean, I think a big part of why they wanted Trump in power was to try to reorient the whole United States military might against just the PRC, the People's Republic of China. 
Whereas like with the, you know, the Biden kind of Eric Schmidt faction, the Davos faction that kind of came to power, they weren't just content with the war with China. They wanted to go with Russia. They wanted to go with everybody. And again, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that either one is like, uh, you know, a good policy for us to, you know, to pursue, but I mean, trying to contain just China alone does seem to be a lot more reasonable than trying to start a conflict with both China and Russia simultaneously. <laughs> and I agree with think? that. I mean, like, here's my whole thing, dude. It's like crime bosses versus satanic pedophiles. And, you know, maybe just maybe he's a nationalist. Maybe he wants to make all these business deals and but he still believes in America. I just seems like Joe Biden and the Democrats have been selling us out left and right. Now we know that we know that Trump is a Zionist and is like totally behind everything Israel does. Okay. And supports it no matter what they do. And we also know that he's the same way with Saudi Arabia. And we all know Saudi Arabia and Israel were a big part of nine 11. We all know that. Okay, so we but just like what is it with America? We know Hillary Clinton sent the Chinese government secret documents in real time. Every time she emailed, the Chinese government got an email. These are facts. These are facts. These aren't debatable. So you have to pick your poison. I don't like I don't like any of it. I want America first. I don't have any problems. Like I don't like how Israel treats Palestinians. Okay, I don't like that. They've been involved in some attacks on the United States. Those are facts. We can sit down. We can argue it all the time. Love Jews. Love Judaism. Okay. Just being honest with you. Okay. But do I think that Trump represents a different organization? Yes. Do I think it's as bad as what George Bush has done? Not even close. And that's my humble opinion. Johnny, thoughts? Right. Well, I mean, if if what our guest is saying is accurate, you know, I, I, I can't, I have trouble drawing much of a distinction. Between them, as far if 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 we once I you think, get in this, I'm talking about like on with respect to evil and just you know not yeah, having yeah, yeah. not having our best interests at heart. I, I I have trouble drawing any distinction between all of them, and I think that's yeah. how they get us into the horse race and the politics is by making us think there are differences. Well, I think the big thing is it's just the fact that, like, when you look at the kind of faction around, like, the Davos crowd and, I mean, the Atlantic Council and all these other clowns, it's like they're so tied to Europe. And I think that's exactly what is driving the conflict with Russia, because, I mean, it's just Europe is a freaking mess. I mean, they don't produce anything. They live off of freaking tourism. I mean, they're in a lot of this is because their political class is so insanely corrupt. And it's just in this situation, it's pretty much inevitable that the Russians were going to start having more influence in it. So, you know, it's just to me foolish to try to prop up the European elite, especially when you're potentially risking a world war over this. I mean, they're completely and utterly useless. I mean, conversely, again, you know, I'm not saying trying to antagonize the PRC makes a lot of sense. But conversely, like, I do think it makes sense to be a little weary of the PRC. I mean, it's not exactly like they have a sterling record of human rights or, you know, economic practices or a lot of other stuff. So, I mean, 
there's maybe a logical reason to at least be a little apprehensive towards China and Russia for that matter. I'm not trying to say and the that. United States. I mean, let's just yes, and the United, United States. States. I mean, it's not exactly like we engage in, I mean, legitimate practices either, but it's just like, I guess that's what really gets in my craw when I mean, I look at some of this stuff with like the Atlantic Council and some of these other neoliberal organizations. I mean, I went to the Victims of Communism Summit and first off, I mean, okay, you know, this is the one uh, Zelensky's, you know, wife was there to accept like the uh, award from them before she met with Joe Biden and what have you. You've got all these people from the Atlantic Council. You've got all these Cretans from the Heritage Foundation. I mean, I actually shook hands with Edwin Fulwin, the founder of the Heritage Foundation, after the freaking thing was over with. These people do not care about average people. They mentioned the cost of gas and what it would do to Europe like once or twice and the whole freaking thing. And it was a joke to them. They just want more freaking money for this war with Russia and to contain China and all this other freaking insanity and what have you. And I mean, it really is the only thing that they care about. And it's just shocking to behold this kind of stuff. And I mean, just the sort of militant bloodlust that these, you know, self-proclaimed elites and, I mean, intellectuals possess. So, uh, you know, again, uh, and it's to me especially grating that, I mean, it is the neoliberal faction that's really gone whole bore into this. I mean, there's no anti-war movement. There's no left existing anymore. That's why I'm saying that the counterculture seems to be just a giant lie of just a bunch of rich kids who hate their death. And that's what they're doing. And they're all uh, demanding a war that they'll never fight, ever. You want a war? You go over there and fight the war. Stop sending rich kids. Stop sending poor kids who probably can't even find the Ukraine on the map to go fight a war that geopolitically has nothing to do with us at all. And it's just this thing that the same thing they did with Vietnam, which was like, oh, communist is going to spread. What that what? Nobody knew is that Vietnam and China hated each other. They still hate each other. It was never going to become part of China. They hate each other. And it was all about those golden triangle, the, the, the heroin poppy fields of Vietnam. And that's what it's always about, man. What is it really about? What is the, I mean, they're talking about turning the Ukraine into new Israel. You got to go, what is going on here? And then you kind of take a look back, you go farther and farther back, you get in Kazarians and who found, and the whole belief on who founded Israel, all that stuff. It's all there, man. It's like the pieces of the puzzle always just connect with each other. And that's what's going on. We have a predator class that made deals with dark entities that are running sorcery on us. And I think people are waking up to it, but they're moving at neck break speed to try to push these in before we all wake up. I was just telling Johnny that, you know, Instagram deleted uh, my account and now they're trying to get me to do some more shady shit so they can get the AI, my picture into AI, which probably already knows, but they want it 100%. Just to, to I think this is social credit score. I think my social credit score with the elites is very bad. So they kicked me off of Instagram. And the only reason they haven't taken my other accounts is because they're actually ran by other people. Yeah. Well, I always tell everybody, if you really want to see the future, look at the third season of Westworld. That was like probably the best depiction yet of it. I mean, they got the whole social credit system set up there, the weaponization of the alternate reality games. I mean, just everything, man. 
Yeah, they did. I, you're so right. It was such a. I mean, the outliners. I mean, yeah. that's like kind of the gifted kids right there. The gifted kids that they can incorporate into the system. And, you know, well, they kind of have these games and shit to drive them insane and whatnot uh, that are, you know. Incredible. You would love that, Sam. You should really watch. It's just a it's a super vivid. Uh, I mean, it's it's just. Yeah, absolutely. Even even sharper, I think, uh, an image of a potential future than even like Black Mirror, I would say. It's it's just really... Steven, do you think that future is inevitable? No, I don't think that it's inevitable. And I mean, I think in some ways, I mean, we might be heading towards a systematic collapse. I mean, just because there is such a lack of an imagination and so forth on the elites. I mean, I just, I think we've already had the crisis of capitalism. I mean, that started to unfold around 2008 or something with the subprime mortgage crisis. And I mean, at this point, nobody really knows what the hell is going to go forward. I mean, I just don't think that the technology is there for this sort of monolithic like AI uh, to organize society that they've been uh, postulating for years now. That being said, I mean, they do have the capacity to drive us insane because they've figured out how to perfectly simulate, I mean, the world, you know, that we live in and each and every one of us through, I mean, a lot of computer technology they've been developing since the 60s. But uh, that's another topic. But I mean, yeah, we have basically just enough of the tech now to where, I mean, we can create, I mean, unlimited amounts of chaos, but we have no idea how to create a functioning society because, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, the only thing that you can really compare this to is the rise of the Industrial Revolution. And that had a massive paradigm shift in the entire West. I mean, this has also led to the West Westphalian peace, which is where we get the modern nation state from, you know, with the, the shift from a digital to a digital age age it's going to require a new way of living you know essentially new political structures and whatever and that's why i mean to a lot of extent it's even pointless to sit around and talk about fascism and communism i mean these were ideologies from the industrial age as was capitalism i mean all this stuff has had its time and i just don't think that it really applies now even though we're going to continue to try to force it on society what but, do you I mean, think if the future should be if it's not capitalism communism i i, I would love capitalism but not in its form that's going on right now because i don't think we really have capitalism i think we have cronyism i mean ironically i mean i do think it was sort of the tech and even like the new age sectors that have like made a lot of interesting moves with like the whole concept of like networking which i'm really fascinated by because it's like on the one hand you're almost inevitably going to have a more integrated society i mean a more globalistic society but conversely you can create these nodes these like local regions and so forth uh and i think that it does provide a fascinating way where you can preserve sort of like a local economy that's like plugged into a broader international network because it's like we're in a situation now some of this tech like cryptocurrency and what have you we don't need banks and all this other stuff you know we can create like great local products and market them to the entire world and you're starting to see this kind of stuff with like est and so on so i mean you could build i mean actually i think functioning communes and stuff over this kind of thing and this is, I think, the sort of thinking that we need going forward. I mean, I mean, a kind of decentralized like marketplace where I, I mean, totally bring- agree, man. I totally agree. And I also agree that if they could completely and utterly shut down the Internet and replace it with something else, it would have done it already. That's just my humble opinion. I think there are dark entities and, it, you know, the law of duality is light and dark, meaning if there's dark entities, there has to be light entities. They're principles. And I believe light entities are pushing back. And, I, you know, it's like, again, let's go opposites. If globalism, which I agree is wrong, 
there's some good parts of globalism, right? There are some where it's like these smaller countries are now manufacturing stuff, which has helped their population somewhat rise out of poverty a little bit, right? Um, there's some good things, but overall, I don't like globalism. I don't like one world government. I like my country uh, and I like our laws to say our laws. Um, but if the opposite of globalism is local, and I think that that's what you're talking about, these decentralized. Well, it's uh, not just that, but I mean, the other thing you got to kind of keep in mind is like with the technology now, it's like we can find people all over the world that have like the same interests that we have. So, I mean, I do think that there is important with the global component, but then we can all, you know, choose to come together in a local area. We can start buying up land together. We can form and see, I think this is like why a lot of times communes film the past because you're trying to found them with random individuals. They might have different agendas and what have you. Right, now right. it's like you can bring people from everywhere. You can find people, I mean, who have those exact precise interests and stuff that you're looking to do. So I think that's like where you have like a really unique way to put this together now, where you can create these local communities out of a global, uh, you know, infrastructure or something like that from people who genuinely want to be a part of this. And that, you know, could be a tremendous thing humanity and it's a shame that you know instead of looking at that you know we're trying to freaking fight a war with russia and china or something <laughs> oh, yeah it's, it's super interesting and i i do believe the old now 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 we have a record which is the internet and we can spread that record around and and now I think every time they pull some shit, there's a permanent record what they pulled. And now there's people who will call back to that, go, oh, they did this here. Look at what they did. And now they got to they have to change up the game. But like you said, they're not original enough. Yeah, they're just not smart enough. And you're going to see corporations. And I'm talking about production, businesses, art, have a giant brain drain. Because they're not paying enough, and someone goes, I could just go do this on my own at the on the internet and make more money and be my own boss. And that's where it's going. Yeah, and exactly. Um, and I mean, I that's, I think, what you're seeing is where the real innovation is going, too. Yeah, that's I mean, why podcasts have become so big in the last couple of years. Yeah, you know I how, mean, Sammy, you know how you, you, know how you were saying about the, the permanent score? I got to ask him about... Uh, weren't the like the flight logs a permanent score of like everybody that was there you pull those up and show you were there yeah but but in a weird we, kind of way can't, can't we pull those up and then do you think everybody that was on those flight logs were there do you think it was made up do you think well, people were well, added what on there asking for is corrupt people to fix corruption we need these corrupt people and we just had a hour conversation about how law enforcement fully engages in corruption so we're asking corrupt people to change corruption. And what the one thing that you can say whatever you want about right versus left, Republican versus Democrat. The one thing that I do like the Republican, that the conservative side of the country does more than the left side is when they don't like something, they pull their money and attention out and it tends to collapse on each other. So we have these people, we have this permanent record, Wanda Sykes, Kathy Griffin, all these like co comics who are on the flight logs, that anytime they do something, they get pounded on. And you can say whatever you want about Hillary Clinton, but she didn't get what she wanted. Should she be in jail? 100%. But again, we're asking corrupt people who, who 
participate in equal types of corruption to arrest and jail corrupt people. Well, then that sets a precedence. But what we do see is that society has, anytime Hillary Clinton tries to do anything, she just gets pounded on, dude. She may not see it because she doesn't run her own social media, but those who work for her know the temperature of the room. And that is pure hatred. She has no clue because she doesn't run her social media because she's 80 years old. But everyone around her knows that. When Wanda Sykes does anything, I pound on her. Hey, you were on the flight logs of Jeffrey Epstein. So people are waking up to it. So we can only control so much. What we can't control is where we put our time, our attention, and our money and resources into. And that's why Hollywood is dying. Exactly. And I mean, that's, you know, what we need to kind of keep thinking about, you know, I mean, put our money and resources into things that we think they're going to be, uh, make the world better and I mean, more positive place, you know, I mean, and I mean, I think if that's really the one sort of silver lining with like the lockdowns and what have you, it's like you're saying a lot of people did take the opportunity to learn new skills and what have you. And I mean, you know, again, you know, people listening to this, I mean, anybody can do this. I mean, I didn't think a couple of years ago that I could run a podcast or that I could do all this other stuff. But I mean, you know, you just kind of like, got to sit down and learn and believe in yourself. And I mean, certainly, you know, if you uh, put stuff out there, you'll find that there's going to be a lot of people who will be willing to help you along the way as well. Universe is abundance, man. You put it out there. You treat people well. It comes back to you. I believe in manifesting. I believe in all that stuff. And I think if you put out positive energy, you help others, you love others, You, uh, the universe takes care of you. Steven, man, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. It's great to know that you're, you're out there doing some great work. One more time, tell us your podcast and your website and anything else you'd like to promote. Well, my podcast is the Farm Podcast Mach 2. That's M A C H I I. And you can find it on Apple and Spotify. And us, I'm longtime curator of the Visa blog. That's V I S U P V I W all one word dot blogspot.com. And I'm also the author of Strange Tales of the Parapolitical, Post War Nazis, Mercenaries, and Other Secret History with Frank Zero and a Special Relationship, Trump Epstein and the Secret History of the Anglo American Establishment, all by myself. And that was the one where I get into all the stuff with Profumo and what have you that we're just talking about the weird Masonic sex rights that they did and all that good stuff. Okay. Good question is he alive? What's it? Oh, yeah. Question, is, is he still do you alive? Think Epstein is alive. No, no, I don't think that he's alive. All right. Just, we had to make sure we have we bring it up. We always got to ask. Uh, you thought you who do you think killed him? Uh, I mean, who knows? It probably was like one of the guards or something like that. But I mean, yeah, it's just... who put out the hit then. I mean, does it really like matter at this point? I mean, I, <laughs> I think... think it was Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> it could well have been. I mean, I just to me, it's just like more interesting how blatant it is at this point. Like, it's like they don't even really feel the need to like cover this kind of thing up anymore. It's like well, almost. I think that's like, a big part of this. As we wrap up, is that the elites are getting more and more brazen. As we get more and more powerful, they're asked to show us that they do what they want to do, and they're not. They don't care what we want is get more and more brazen, and I think that's going to cost them more and more along the way. I personally think that Saudi Arabian golf tournament held at Trump's golf course only a short jump away from 9-11 was a giant 
uh, signal that we do what we want to. That's me personally. There's a they could have had that. They could have had that tournament anywhere. To have it right there is a giant f you to everybody because they're trying to show, dude. Joe Biden, Camel Toe Harris. I'm sorry, man. She was the lowest polled uh, candidate, and now she's the vice president. That's all done to break our will, man. And they're not going to win, in my humble opinion. One more time, Stephen. Thank you so much for coming on. Did you thank get you. my uh, DMs? Did, um, did you see my message? Yeah, yeah, I got your messages. Yeah, just uh, copy and paste the email and send me all the links because I want to make sure everyone can find you. Guys, I love you very much. I hope you understand what I said, okay? Uh, and you get it and you don't hate me, especially you married ladies. You know I love you. Marriage is a very special thing for those who want to do it. I love you guys very much. Thanks again, Stephen. Thank you, Xavier. Thank you, Johnny. And uh, we will talk to you soon. We go deep, homeboy. Aaron, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hat, Tim foil hat, Tim foil hat.